0: I go to John chapter number 5. I'll say one more thing to you if you're new. Uh, We prefer to preach through the Bible uh, verse by verse, book by book. We've done that for uh, many, many years here, and it's not the only way that we do it, but I would say three quarters of the time uh, we are in a book of the Bible where we open it up and we just see what it says and walk through it verse by verse line by line and and you know what it's not boring when you do that it's absolutely fascinating to study the bible in that manner so we are in the we're not even in the middle we're in the front quarter of our study of the book of john And we're almost going to end chapter five today. Next week, we'll be in chapter six with the feeding of the 5,000. But we're gonna round out chapter number five this morning and kind of pick up where we last left it off two weeks ago. Last week was Easter and we talked about the resurrection on Sunday morning. So two weeks ago, we left it off at verse number 30. And I want us to read verse 31 down through the end of the chapter here in a few moments I'll give you some context if you weren't here the past couple weeks you're like I don't really know we're picking this up midstream what's he talking about we'll explain it here in a moment but let's read what Jesus is saying John 5 uh, verse 31 through the end these are all the words of Jesus so here we go Jesus says if I bear witness of myself my witness is not true now I will point this out if you're in the habit of marking your Bible, circle or underline every time it says witness or testify or testimony. You'll see that over and over and over again in this passage. So you just saw it twice in that verse. Verse 32, there is another that beareth witness of me. I know that the witness which he witnesses of me is true. He sent unto John and he bear witness unto the truth. But I receive not testimony from man, but these things I say that you might be saved. He, John, was a burning and a shining light and ye were willing for a season to rejoice in his light. But I have greater witness than that of John. For the works which the Father hath given me to to finish, the same works that I do bear witness of me that the Father hath sent me. And the Father himself which hath sent me hath borne witness of me. Ye have neither uh, heard his voice at any time nor seen his shape, and ye have not his word abiding in you. For whom he hath sent, him ye believed not. Search the scriptures. For in them ye think ye have eternal life, and there they are they which testify of me. Ye will not come to me that ye might have life. And I receive not honor from men, but I know you that ye have not the love of God in you. Those are very pointed words, by the way, if you didn't pick up on the, on the tone here. Verse number 43, I'm coming my father's name and you receive me not. If another shall come in his own name, him you will receive. How can ye believe which receive honor one of another and seek not the honor that cometh from God only? Do not think that I will accuse you to the Father. There's one that accuses you, even Moses, in whom you trust. For had you believed Moses, you would have believed me, for he wrote of me. But if you believe not his writings, how shall you believe my words? If you remember where we left off a couple weeks ago in this passage, let me me help you give you the cliff note version of, of what it was. Jesus, in the first part of John 5, heals this man, this lame man, on the Sabbath day. And the religious leaders come to Jesus and say, Jesus... Shouldn't heal on the Sabbath day. Sabbath means no work. You just worked. You just healed a guy. And Jesus' response is, you know what? Yeah. I did heal a guy on the Sabbath day. I did work. You know why? Because the rules on the Sabbath day are for humans and I'm in the flesh, but I'm not really human. I'm God god can work anytime he wants god doesn't rest on the sabbath day god doesn't take a nap and and actually the same rules that apply to the father apply to god they apply to me and his audience rightly assumes that jesus is making himself equal with god you can read that uh, right in the middle i think it's verse 16 and 17 of john chapter 5. That they say you're making yourself equal with god and jesus says yeah i'll double down on that one in verses 19 all the way through verse 30 jesus tells them in about 10 different ways what you just assumed is accurate. I am saying that I am God. And here's a little bit about how this works. I am I'm the son, he's the father, but we are together, we are one. I work his works, his words are my words, my words are his words. There is no daylight between us, we are inseparable. When you see me, you see the father, you, you are seeing God. We are together, we are in unison, absolutely. What you said is true. Now he's going to offer some logic as to why they should believe this just over and above what he is doing. And he says in verse number 31 and 32, if I bear witness of myself, my witness is not true. Now, what does that mean? Does that mean that if if Jesus says anything about himself, that it's a lie? No, that's not what it means. Verse 32, there is another that beareth witness of me. And I know that the witness which he witnesses of me is true. So Jesus is going to appeal to another that beareth witness of me. Who is this other that is bearing witness of Jesus? Jesus is going to say that it's the Father. This whole passage is about that God speaks to us, that God doesn't leave us without a witness. That's why you see witness and testimony over and over and over again. And Jesus is going to say more or less that God the Father is testifying of me, and if you listen to him, you will believe my truth claims. Now, this is actually a very logical thing for Jesus to say, I'm not witnessing of myself. It's not just me. And if it was just me, then it wouldn't be true because he said in 19 through 30, me and the father are one, we're together, we're inseparable. My words are his words, his works are my works. And if they're inseparable, it would make sense logically that the opposite were true that Jesus could apply that argumentation and he could flip it and say, therefore the father's words are my words. And and if they talk about me, the father's works are about me, that this this is a two way street here and he's gonna apply it in the opposite and say, when you see what the father is doing, that's actually about me. Just like what I'm doing is about the father. Both are true and that's what he's saying. If I was flying solo, if there was no witness of me, then when I told you that me and father were one, that wouldn't make sense. It only makes sense that me and the father are one if the father is also testifying of me, just like I'm testifying of him. So Jesus is going to spell out here that the father is testifying of Jesus. Now, Jesus is not saying that he needs testimony from man. The next verse that we'll read in a moment will make it very clear that Jesus doesn't need testimony from man. So I've, I've read some commentaries or heard some people preach through this and say, when Jesus says that he can't witness of himself, what he's doing is he's leveraging the the laws of Jewish prudence in the, in the Hebrew system that you need two or three witnesses for your testimony to be factual. But Jesus sets that to the side all the time through John's gospel. And he oftentimes tells him, I don't need man's testimony. I don't need man's witness. I'll stand on my own testimony. I'll tell you what I'm saying is true. I don't need you to testify of me. He does that over and over again. This is different. This is Jesus saying that just like I testify of the father, the father testifies of me. This is not man's witness. So, he is going to give us the witness of God and the testimony of the Father about Jesus all through this passage. And I think that we'll understand this passage if we can answer three questions. So, the primary question, what Jesus is trying to address, is how does the Father testify of the Son? The next question we want to ask this text is how does Jesus view Scripture? which is important for a follower of Jesus to understand that. And the third question we'll ask ourselves is how do these people use Scripture, or I could even say misuse Scripture. So let's start with question one. How does the Father testify of the Son? Jesus is going to give you three ways that the Father testifies of the Son that he is valid. He's going to give you a personal way first through what I'll just call God's man. And he's going to talk about John the Baptist. He says in verse number 33 this, Ye said unto John, and he bear witness unto the truth but I received not testimony from man. So what he's going to say here is, look, I don't actually need that testimony from John, but these things I say that you might be be saved. Like I'm throwing you a bone here. I'm actually just going to help you out and add one in here that I don't really need, but I'll throw it in here that John testified of me. Verse 35, he was a burning and a shining light. You were willing for a season to rejoice in his light. So what Jesus is saying is, remember John the Baptist, didn't you go searching for him? John didn't come after you. You went to John, didn't you? And you ask John, John, who are you? John, John, what are you talking about? John, are you the Messiah? John, we're looking to you. And didn't you see something in John? He puts it this way. John was a burning and a shining light. John was a radiant human being there was something about john that was unique that was bright that was radiant that drew you into him and and he says you received his testimony for a minute You, you received it for a little while and said there's something special about this guy but what did john ultimately say john said i'm not the christ I'm not the son of God, I'm not the Messiah, there's the Messiah, it's Jesus, Jesus is the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world, Jesus is the son of God, so you went to a, a personal witness, you went to John, God's man, and you asked him for answers and John told you it was me, John told you I was the son of God, so just stick that in your pipe and smoke it for a little bit, this, this is, think about that. Think that John told you that I was the son of God. Now he's going to go on and he's going to say empirically that there's God's works. Verse number 36. I didn't say stick that in your pipe and smoke in the first service. I don't know where that came from. I have greater witness than that of John. I haven't said that phrase in years. It just, it it must have been the Holy Spirit. (laughs) It probably wasn't. It probably wasn't. I have greater witness than that of John for the works which the father hath given to me to finish, the same works that I do bear witness of me that the Father hath sent me." So now he's saying, look at what I do. My works are the Father's works. My to-do list, what I'm accomplishing, what I'm, my life, my ministry is about the work of the Father. So the works that I'm doing are from the Father, and even those are testifying of me. Now, raise of hands, how many of you guys have a honey-do list at your house right now from, from your wife? How many of you ladies have a honey-do list from your husband? All right, not as much. But I have, I have a, a honey-do list. I checked one of those things off of my list last night. Didn't I nag? It was, did a great job with it too. So I checked one off last, last night, but I, I had this list of things that, the, you know, my wife wants done that I'm to do. And what Jesus is saying is my honey-do list, my task list is from the father. The works that I'm doing are his works. These testify of me. He said, what are his works? It's his life. It's his ministry. It's as he walks, as he talks, as he heals. Ultimately, this is manifested in the cross and in his resurrection, that those are the father's works. Those are bearing witness that I'm just not another guy. I'm not, I'm not Joe Blow. I'm not, I'm not just a guy. I am the son of God. I'm God in the flesh. I just told you that. And I'm telling you, if you look at my life and you look at my ministry, it will scream that there's something special about me. It will attest to the fact that what I'm doing is something unique and is something special. So Jesus says, there's a personal. You can look, there's there's this radiant guy who's telling you that I'm the son of God. There's the empirical, there's my works. They're screaming at you that I'm the son of God. Then scripturally, there's God's word. And the rest of the chapter is centered around the idea of God's word. But look in verse number 37. The Father Himself, which has sent me, hath borne witness of me. Here's the Father testifying. You've neither heard His voice at any time nor seen His shape, and you have not His word abiding in you, which is a threefold condemnation for these people. For whom He has sent, Him ye believed not. Search the Scriptures, for in them ye think ye have eternal life, and they are they which testify of me. What Jesus is saying is very direct. He's saying, You claim that you know the word of God, but I'm telling you the God of the word is standing right in front of you and you don't recognize him. You don't see him. You're not hearing me, you're not seeing me, therefore I know the word of God isn't really abiding in you. Yeah, you've memorized it and yeah, you say you meditate on it and yeah, you read it a lot, but, but it doesn't abide in you. You don't get it because the scriptures actually testified of me and if you got that, then you would know that God's word pointed to me and told you it's a witness that I am Jesus, the Christ, the Messiah, the son of God in the flesh come to save mankind from their sins. This is, this is all about me. Now, there's a lot of uniformity between all three of these, the personal, the empirical, and the scriptural. You find that all of them are the testimony of the Father about Jesus, that Jesus is, is in fact, God in the flesh. All three of them properly understood point to Jesus. What Jesus is saying is that if you went to John the Baptist and you said, oh, let's go to John the Baptist. Look at him. Wow. Great guy. Amazing example. Let's be more like John the Baptist. You missed it. Because John would have told you, no, it's not about me, it's about Jesus, look at him. If you go and you look at my miracles, and you see that I healed somebody, and your takeaway is, oh yeah, Jesus healed somebody, heal me too, Jesus, you missed it. The point of the miracle was a sign, was a testimony that I am the son of God and you should believe on me. If you go to the scripture and you read it, and you say, man, I read that, check it off my list, feel good about myself, God's in my corner today because I read his word, the end, you've missed it. The scripture is about Jesus. All of this is meant to point to Jesus, and all of these types of testimony actually are still types of testimony that draw people to Jesus today. If someone said, hey, I struggle believing. Pastor, I hear you. I see what he's saying. That's what Jesus said. You're right, that's what he said. But I just struggle to believe. I would ask, have you you put yourself around the evidence? Do you know a radiant human being? Do you know someone who shines brightly and testifies of Jesus? Because that's meant to point you to him. Have you considered the evidence? Have you examined his resurrection? Have you asked yourself, is there, is, there a, is there a logical conclusion that's an alternate explanation for the resurrection? Have you examined that? Have you opened up the scriptures and read them? Have you read the gospels and read about Jesus? And you say, know, no, I don't really hang out with Christian people and I haven't really thought that much about the resurrection. It just, it just seems supernatural. I, I'm out. Don't think I can believe. I'm too enlightened to believe that. And his word, yeah, I mean, I don't really read it much. Then I would tell you, you haven't put yourself around the evidence. Don't say, I can't believe unless you've looked at the evidence. Unless you listen to the witnesses, listen to the testimony first, and then see if if you struggle to believe. Because Jesus is saying, these are testimony. This is witness of me to verify that what I'm telling you is true. Now, the primary witness that Jesus gives, he builds these incrementally. He says, John, but better than that are my works, but even better than that is the word. The place of pride that he gives, as far as the testimony, that screams, look at Jesus. Jesus is telling you the truth. He is, he is God in the flesh. What screams that is actually the scriptures. And he spends the bulk of his time talking about the scriptures. And what he does directly is that he attacks his audience for their use of the scriptures and tells them that they have mishandled the scriptures. But indirectly, in so doing, Jesus does give us very clearly his view of the Scriptures, which I think is very important to point out because we are followers of Jesus. So I want to ask the question, how did Jesus view the Scripture? What did Jesus think about the Word of God? And to put it in a nutshell, he thought it was the Word of God. He thought Scripture was divine, that Scripture was not a human book. Now, Jesus has no problem admitting that it was written by human beings. He says very plainly in this text that Moses wrote of me, that Moses penned the words, Moses wrote it. He he tells you that, but he says in verse 37 that what Moses was writing was the father's testimony that Moses was writing words, but those weren't his own words that he thought of because he was a, a wise guy. He is writing the Father's testimony. He's writing the Word of God. This is why in Matthew 19, Jesus can quote Moses. He'll quote Genesis 2 that Moses wrote, but he won't say Moses said. He'll say God said. That God said that what, uh, to leave father and mother and to cleave unto your wife. Now, who wrote those words? Moses penned them. But he says, no, they weren't Moses' words. Those were God's words. So Jesus has a very, very high view of Scripture, which his disciples continued to have after he ascended to heaven. You would find that Peter has a very clear passage in Peter chapter 1 that he tells you very plainly at the end of that chapter, verse 21, that prophecy came not in the old time by the will of man, but holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. That this was not something that people conjured up. This was something that was ordained and breathed by God. That when you read David, when you read Moses, when you read Luke, you're reading God's words, not just man's words. But what's interesting about the passage in Peter is that Peter says that the word of God is not just divine revelation, but it is the most sure divine revelation, So you're going to have to follow with me for a minute here. But Peter says that this book, the word of God is divine revelation, but not just divine revelation, the most sure divine revelation you could possibly have. It's not uncommon for me to meet people that say something to the tune of, pastor, I'd love to believe, but if... You know, if I had a voice, if I had a vision, you know, I've seen some of those movies where that person, you know, they, they died for like six minutes and they floated up and they saw the, the shoe on the roof of the hospital and then they went and they met Jesus and Jesus had come back down. Or that person that they you know, stuck in the well or the trunk of the tree and they had this experience with Jesus and they saw heaven. You know, if I had one of those, then I could believe If I had something like supernatural that happened to me, then, I mean, my heart would be a little bit more inclined. But I just, I I think I need a voice. I need a vision. I need something, something more than what I have. What Peter is going to say is that I, Peter, had a voice, and I, Peter, had a vision, but I'm telling you that there's something better than that, that there's something more stable than that, and that actually is the scripture. That's the word of God. If you don't believe me, I'll read it to you. It's in your outline if you want to read along with me. 1 Peter 1, verse 16, we just read how he ended it, but let me back it up. Peter says, we have not followed cunningly devised fables when we made known unto you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but were eyewitnesses of his majesty. Look, this isn't a legend, I didn't make this up. This isn't a fable, this isn't just some some witty invention. I was an eyewitness of his majesty. I was there. Peter, what were you there for? He'll talk about his baptism, and he'll talk about actually the the Mount of Transfiguration with Jesus, but he's going to say this, verse 17. For he, Jesus, received from God the Father honor and glory when there came such a voice to him from the excellent glory, this is my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased. Peter's like, I was there. I was there when I audibly heard a voice from heaven talking and saying, believe on him, I'm pleased with him. Like, I heard it. Then he's going to say, I saw it, in verse number 18. And this voice which came from heaven we heard when we were with him in the holy mount. What's he talking about? He's actually talking about the mount mount of transfiguration, which you don't have to get into today. But he's saying, I heard something. I saw something. I was there. I was an eyewitness. But verse 19, we have also a more sure word of prophecy, whereunto you do, do well that you take heed as unto a light that shineth in a dark place. He says, I have something more stable, more sure, than, than my, what I heard and what I saw. I think Peter is kind of tacitly acknowledging that if you have a voice or a vision, you can't be certain that's from God. You could be hallucinating, right? You could have taken too many meds the night before. It could be, it could be occult-oriented. Right, it could be a supernatural sinner that's giving you some sort of voice or vision, or it could be from God. But more or less, you've got a one in three chance of that actually being divine or something that you could stand on. But when you come to the Scripture, Peter's saying, "You bet a thousand, you can bank on it, you can bet on it, you can know that this is this is elevated. You should look at this as authoritative as God's word." So the question simply is, do you view God's word this way? Do you look at the Bible and say? This is a divine book, this is from God. The bottom line is, can this sit in judgment on your heart and your life, or will your heart and your life sit in judgment on it? Because one or the other. It's do I allow this to be above me and have authority and weigh in and change the way I think and change the way I, I act and cause me to stop in my tracks, or do I look at this and say, yeah, I like that. That's cool. I like Jesus there, but eh, nah, cut that one out. Shh, nope, done with that one. No, I'll edit that one up. Which one is it? In Jesus's view of scripture was that scripture was divine. Scripture was from God. He lifts it way, way up. And he's constantly saying, this is why you find Jesus all the time saying, It is written. It is written. It is written. It is written. Why would he do that? Because that's his foundation, that's his basis because he's elevating the scripture. When he's tempted in the desert, he'll say it is written. When he's in the garden and he gets done praying and Peter takes his sword out and Peter's gonna go to war, Jesus tells Peter, "Now stop, put it away. I could call 12 legions of angels and wrap this thing up real fast, but I don't need that. I want the scripture to be fulfilled, Peter. You mean people come at Jesus with staves and knives and he's thinking about the scripture? Yep. Yes, Jesus is on his way to the cross, but he's carrying part of the cross on his back, which he collapses under the weight of eventually. But when he's carrying it, there are women who are there mourning, and he looks at them and he tells them, oh, daughters of Jerusalem, don't weep for me. The scripture is going to be fulfilled. Jesus is on the cross and he quotes Psalm 22. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Over and over and over and over again, you find it governing and directing his life. And the bottom line is you can't say, you know what, I like Jesus, I'll be his follower, but I I don't wanna have to surrender to the scriptures. I don't wanna obey what they have to say. I don't wanna treat them authoritatively. If you say that, what you're saying is I don't want the Jesus of the Bible, I want a Jesus I can make up. I want a Jesus that I can mold to my own shape and I can make it be what I want to be. I like that, but I don't like that. I'll take that, but now I'll leave that out. And, And you're trying to make your own little God and your own little Jesus, and you can't do that. You can't do that because Jesus didn't do that. You don't get him and then deny the basis of his life. The two go together and Jesus is saying more or less, his view of scripture is this is the truth, nothing but the truth, the whole truth, so help me God, like this is it. So. God testifies of Jesus that we should believe that he is the son of God. We should put our faith in him. Jesus' view of scripture is very high. It's the word of God. It's not man conjuring this up. You can read Moses' words, but really those are God's words. But what I primarily want you to know is this. How did these people use this scripture? Or we could more appropriately say, how did they misuse it? This is the shocking and the frightening part of this passage because Jesus is going to talk to people who do in fact have a high, classic, orthodox, lifted up view of the Bible. He is going to dress people who treat the scripture as inspired, who treat the scripture as infallible, who view it as God's word. Like they're not off base on that. They have the proper view of scripture, but he's going to tell them. Well, we'll read it. Look at verse 45, look at the end. Do not think that I will accuse you to the father. There is one that accuses you, even Moses in whom you trust. For had you believed Moses, you would have believed me. For he, Moses wrote of me. But if you believe not his writings, how shall you believe my words? What's he saying? He's saying on the last day, Moses and the writers of scripture are going to call you into judgment because you didn't listen. They wrote, they spoke, it's God's word, but your ears were plugged. Now this is, he's not addressing secular people. He's not addressing skeptical people. He's talking to people who believe in the infallibility of the scripture, who believe in all of it. And he says, you have a high view of scripture. You're diligent Bible students. You you study the word, but he's telling you it's very possible to believe in the infallibility of Scripture, to believe in the authority of Scripture, but yet miss it. To miss the whole point of Scripture. To actually be just as deaf to what God is saying as the people who don't believe in the Scripture at all. Now, th- this is a profound moment where Jesus is giving us very stark warning. And he's, he's not criticizing their view, he's criticizing their use. And he's saying, you, you respect it, but you're not using this properly, and you really don't have it at all. You say, How's that possible? How's it possible to say, I believe in God's word? I love God's word. Let me hug it. Let me kiss it. Let me read it. Let me put it under my pillow and sleep on it. I love the Bible. This is God's word to me. It's, it's true. I believe it cover to cover, Genesis to Revelation, and miss the whole thing. He says, It's possible. He says, His whole audience, you're doing it. Say, How? Verse 39, I, I think that he tells us. He says, go back and study. Search the scriptures. For in them you think you have eternal life, and there they which testify of me. More or less, what Jesus is saying is that you're studying the scripture, and you're memorizing the scripture, and you're meditating on the scripture, and you're going to the scripture, and you're doing it to find favor with God, to find eternal life, to, to try to somehow secure your eternity, but you're missing the point that I give eternal life and they're meant to point to me and they're m- meant to see me. And the fact that you can't see me right now and I'm standing in front of you tells me you don't get it. Tells me that you absolutely miss it. And this is so common. It's so common for people, maybe this has happened to you in the last six months, to, to kind of be backslidden or away from God and to decide, you know what? I haven't been in church in a while or I haven't been reading my Bible. So, so I'm gonna turn over a new leaf. I'm gonna be a better person. I'm gonna be a better Christian. So you know what I'll do? I'll read my Bible today now what you're softly saying is if i read my bible then i'll be good then then everything will be honky dory then god will be pleased with me and i i do want to thread the needle carefully okay so don't everything i'm about to say don't leave here and say what was this sermon about he talked so fast but what did he tell us not to read the bible did he say don't study it don't memorize it like that was a waste of time why are you doing this no okay that's not what i'm saying That's not at all what I'm saying. Don't have this conversation with your spouse on the way home to ask them if pastor said don't read your Bible. I'm not saying that. But I am saying it is very possible to read the Bible and to have a high view of it and to miss the whole point. It's very possible to do that. And it'd be good for us to stop and to think about if we do this, because the real point, the real purpose, what Jesus tells us, the point of the Bible is to point to Jesus. The scriptures are not an end in and of themselves. They are an end to, a, they're a means to an end, and the end is Jesus. And put it this way, the scriptures are a window that you look through to see Jesus. It's not a window that you just look at and say, "Oh, a nice window, nice trim. Look at that latch. That's a great window." Meanwhile, Jesus is behind there like, "I'm over here." And you're just gawking at the window. You look through them. There are means to an end, and the end is Jesus. Right? Jesus is saying very plainly, "This testifies of me from Genesis to Revelation." The Bible is God's self-disclosure about the reconciling of all things to himself in Jesus Christ. That's a very fancy way to say all of this is about Jesus and the redemption story and the gospel and that Jesus is coming to redeem mankind. And you see this all, see this all over the Bible. I don't have time to read the scriptures with you this morning, but I put them in your lesson. You can read them later. You can find Philip who finds Nathanael and Philip says to Nathanael, we found the one whom Moses and the prophets testified of Jesus. They all wrote about him and now he's here. You would find Jesus after his resurrection on the road to Emmaus for about a seven and a half mile walk. He's there for two hours with these men walking. And it says that he opens up the scripture and he shows them all through the Bible that that was about me and that was about me and that was about me and that was about me. And, about me. and these guys who knew the Bible looked at it and said, I've never seen that before. And it said that their hearts burned within them, that something started to happen inside of them when they started to understand what the real point was. But the real point was Jesus. You find that Paul's methodology for talking to to the Jews, that he would go to them on the Sabbath and he would open up the scriptures and he would say, look, that was about Jesus and that was about Jesus and that was about Jesus. You would find that our, really the the truth claim of of the gospel is contained in, in a creed in 1 Corinthians 15, that Jesus Christ died, according to the scriptures and then he rose from the dead according to the scriptures what does according to the scriptures mean it means the scriptures told us this was going to happen that this was all pointing to Jesus this was all screaming his name so here's here's what you got to know Jesus is not a spoke Jesus is the hub okay when you treat the Bible as though Jesus is a spoke, and I want to go to the Bible and I want to learn about marriage, and then I want to learn about family and I want to learn about money, and then I want to learn about forgiveness, and I want to learn about angels and demons, and then I want to learn about Jesus. and Jesus is one of the spokes. Your' host. Your toast. Jesus is the hub that all the spokes connect to. And you go to the Bible to see, how do I have a Jesus-centered marriage? And what does he teach me about marriage? And how do I see the gospel and how he loved me and gave himself for me, and how that points me to love and give myself for my wife. You go to the scriptures to find, how do I have a Christ-centered home and family? You go to the scriptures to say, Jesus is my priority first and foremost in my money. And that's how I handle my money. You go there to see, not just how do I forgive, but you find Jesus forgave me, Jesus let me off the hook. Jesus gave me a hall pass when I didn't deserve it so I look at that and see that and then I learn how to forgive. You look at angels and demons not just to do a a topical study on angels and demons but to see that Jesus conquers the angels and the demons that Jesus is above them that he gets the glory and the honor. He's the hub of all of it. He's the hub of all of it. And it's so, so easy to miss that and to treat him as a component of the Bible and not the core of what the Bible is all about. I'll give you a, a quote and this is saying the same thing five times. To have an accurate use of scripture, you need more than a high view of scripture. The Bible is for you, but it is not about you. The word of God is meant to show you the God of the word. The Bible is full of advertisements about Jesus. Every story whispers his name. I'm gonna read that again, just so we can help this sink in. I'm telling you, my goal goal this morning, this is not a, is not a super attractive sermon, frankly. But my goal is to plant a seed in your heart, and if that seed is planted and it'll lodge there, it'll produce fruit for decades to come for the rest of your Christian walk. This is, if I could give you only two principles, you say, Pastor Mark, how do I approach the Bible? I could sum it all up in two principles. I give you a lot more than that, but I'll give you a big word, hermeneutical principles. Principles on how to study the Bible is what that means. I, two. Take it literally unless it says otherwise. And number two, it's all about Jesus. If you can approach the Bible that way, you're good. But a lot of people don't take it literally. And a lot of people take it literally and don't see that it's about Jesus. But it is about Jesus. This is what governs my preaching. First and foremost is how is this pointing to Jesus? How does this give us back to Jesus? Because the whole book's about him. The whole book's about him. Let me see if I can illustrate this just to make it more personal for you because this happens all the time. And I've been guilty of it. This happens all the time from commentaries, from lessons, from studies, that you'll take a passage of scripture and read into it yourself, but nothing about Jesus. Take Joseph, okay? Who's Joseph? Joseph, this guy who's, you know, he's the good guy. His brothers betray him, they sell him into slavery. He gets to Egypt, it gets even worse. Potiphar's wife does him wrong, he ends up in prison. But wouldn't you know, he comes out on the end, he sits at the right hand of of Pharaoh, and then when the people that have betrayed him come back, he doesn't demand justice, he forgives them, he lets his brothers off the hook and they escape. So if you look at Joseph and you think, you know what? Great example, great lesson, I wanna be like Joseph. I'll be like Joseph. I'm gonna, I know if I, if I keep the faith, if I hang on, put my trust in God, you know what? Even if I'm mistreated, I'll get through it. I'll come out on top. I, I, I'll, I will, it'll be okay one day. I'll find the power and the strength from God to forgive other people. And, and I can be like Joseph. If you read it that way, you are doomed. I'm just telling, and most people read it that way. You're doomed. One of two things will happen. Number one, you'll become smug and prideful. And you'll think that you are Joseph and that you can do it, and you'll think that that you're the cat's meow. Or number two, which is the most likely option, you'll realize that you stand no chance to actually act like that and to actually do that, and you'll be crushed under the weight of this moral code that Joseph gave you that you can't keep up with. The accurate way to read that story is to say there was another Joseph, a better Joseph, who was sold, who was betrayed by those that should have loved him, who was thrown into a dungeon, but then through that defeat comes power, is seated on the right hand of majesty, and now he looks at the little weasels who betrayed him and who have done him wrong over and over and over again, you and me, and says, you know what? I'll let you off the hook, not because I have to, but because I love you and I'm gracious and I I owe you nothing, but I'll let you off the hook and I'll grant you redemption anyway. And if you read Joseph that way, it's different. It's different. It's, it's what's called Christocentric. It's centered on Jesus. If you read David and Goliath, and there's a million Sunday school lessons that are this way. David and Goliath, you're David. You stand for right. God will have your back. You'll slay the giants in your life. You'll overcome your sin. The bigger they come, the harder they fall. And there's a measure of truth to that, but that's not the point of David and Goliath. The point of David and Goliath is that Goliath can be your sin, but David is the one who steps onto the scene, who is Jesus, who steps up, who conquers and defeats the giant, who defeats the sin. We're the little weasels on the hillside that are just shivering in fear and terror and can't do anything for ourselves. But out comes the Lord of the hosts who says, I will defeat that. I will conquer that. I will overcome. And now we lift him up. We put him on our shoulders and we carry around and sing his praises and say he's awesome but there's a difference there's a big difference and you can do that over and over and over and over again in the bible and if if you miss it and you miss that it's about jesus and and you get you miss the heart of the gospel in it then it'll just be a moral code and it'll crush you it'll crush you or it'll make you smug one or the other we talked last i could give you a million illustrations of this but we talked last uh, friday good friday about Jesus in the garden. And here he is just in such earnest prayer, his soul is exceedingly sorrowful, even unto death. And he tells his companions, guys, just keep me company. I don't wanna be alone, keep me company. And they fall asleep. And then they fall asleep again, and they fall asleep again. And eventually Jesus says, come on, get up, let's go. And you find that Jesus is patient and gracious and loves them to the end, even when they're not lovable. And if the moral from that story is, you know what? I I just need to be like Jesus. There are people who irritate the fire out of me. There are people that I don't want to be patient with. They fall asleep on me. They do me wrong. They let me down. And I just need to be patient and gracious with them. Good luck. You should, but good luck. The point of the story is that I'm the loser. I'm the one who falls asleep. I'm the one who doesn't measure up. I'm the one who has a host of problems and constantly fails to act in a reciprocal way to Jesus, that Jesus is here loving and helping, and I fall asleep on him, but he still is gracious to me. And when you see it that way, it'll melt your heart, it'll humble you, and it'll change you and give you a different platform from which to pursue your Christian life. It seems, it seems like you're splitting hairs, but you're not splitting hairs. You are, it's a vast difference between how you view the scripture. And what Jesus is saying to to his audience is you, you have a proper view, but you misuse it. You don't see the point. And the irony is, here are these people, okay? It's highly ironic. These people that love the Bible don't get the point of the Bible, right? It's like going to an Apple store and walking out with a Samsung. Like it just, that's ironic. It shouldn't happen, right? You don't go to a Mexican restaurant and order burgers and fries. You've missed the point of the Mexican restaurant at least get some chips and queso or something, right? You don't go to church to gossip. You don't go anywhere to gossip, frankly, but when you come to church to gossip, that's ironic and befuddling, like that just is not supposed to be. But here are these people that they just miss it. And the irony is so can you and so can I. I'll be completely transparent. I did not get this until I had a bachelor's degree in theology, I had a master's degree in theology, and I had ministered at a church as a youth pastor amongst other things for close to five years. And I didn't get this. It took me a, lot, a, lot, a long time. It's primarily because those that taught me I don't think got it either. I got a lot of good sermons that taught me to do some good things, but really missed the heart of the gospel. It's very easy to do. You say, Pastor, I mean, these people did this. Should we just say, hey, we're all good. We heard the sermon? Yeah, got it, check. Well, no one here is gonna do that. How would I know if I do this? I've given you 10 questions on, the, on your outline that you can ask yourself and I would, I would encourage you to ponder them, but I'll give, you to, I'll give them to you in statement form. Here's what I have seen, okay? This is, I don't have a verse for this. This is personally what I have seen when people view the scripture authoritatively, but they don't get the point they don't get the point. Here's what happens in my experience. People look at the Bible as, as a thing to check off their list. They oftentimes believe that the more they read the Bible, the more God is pleased, or it's close cousin, the earlier in the morning I read the Bible, the more God is pleased. I've, read a, I've, I've met people, they didn't, they didn't say it in those words, but that's what they, that's what they thought. If, if, I, if I read three chapters, that's better than two chapters. Not if you miss the point, it doesn't matter. If I get up at 4 a.m. and read the Bible, that's holier. I get more credit with God, bigger smile on his face than if I got up at 6 a.m. to read the Bible. And 10 a.m., for sure, that's for losers because you've already eaten breakfast and you can't eat breakfast before you read the Bible. And if that's a rule that governs your life, fine. It's just, it's just not in the Bible. They start to feel superior to people because of their Bible reading habits or because of their Bible knowledge they can't discern the central point of scripture and they get into all kinds of little fanciful theories about the future or about the past. And they start to hypothesize all, all these little things together and start to theorize about all this stuff. And they miss the whole point of it. They fight over every little bit, all the, all the little nuances and the minutiae of scripture, and they fight about it as though it's a central doctrine. They buy into their own views of scripture more than the scripture itself. They tend to study the scripture for facts and information and not for the heart and the gist of what it's really teaching. They tend to beat people up with the scripture and be very mechanical and very rigid. They turn into this, I'm so smart. No one can correct me. I know the Bible so well. You you quote a book of the Bible and then you come talk to me, people. And that's a very, very dangerous place to be. It's a very dangerous place to be. And when you miss the point, and you miss it, it's all about Jesus. And I'm telling you, if you can just take this and apply this and filter your Bible reading through this, oh my word, it'll do so much good. As I'll quote the disciples who are on the road to Emmaus, when this happened, they said, our heart burned within us. That something started to happen on the inside that previously when they approached scripture didn't happen. It will begin to attack the inordinate affections of your life in a gospel-centered, healthy way You'll begin to actually meet Jesus when you go to the Bible and commune with him and have time with him and relationship with him. You'll get the heart of it and it will explode in your heart and your life and you will have, you will have a whole different foundation from which to pursue your Christian walk. So don't miss it. Don't miss that everything's about Jesus. You say, okay, pastor, what do I do with this? I'm done. First, if you don't know Jesus as your Savior and you haven't believed on him, he tells you here, look, the Father testifies of me. Uh, do you know people that are radiant? That there's just something attractive about them that, that point to Jesus? There's a reason for that. It's not because of them. It's because of Jesus. So believe on Jesus. Have you considered the resurrection? Have you considered his works? Have you thought about what that means? Because if he rose from the dead, you've got to believe what he said. Have, have you looked at the scripture? If, if you haven't believed, believe. Okay, start there. If you have believed, I would ask you, do you have a high view of scripture? Do you allow it to be authoritative in your life? Say, nah, I like some of it, but not the other parts. You know, eh, nah, it doesn't, it doesn't fly. Jesus treated scripture as though it was God's word, not man's word. But you're not done there. If you've believed and you say, and I know most of you, most of you I know, you, you have believed and you, and you do believe that the scripture is authoritative. You do put so much stock in it that it is God's word. You're not done. You're not done. How do you use it? Do you see it as an end in and of itself or do you see it as a means to point to Jesus? Jesus is the hub, he's not a spoke and you gotta remember that and you gotta carry it with you as you approach the Bible every single time. Let's pray.